This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Welcome to Intertractional. Welcome to Intertractional Indeed. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Today uh, we're going to talk about Nazis. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. Uh, we're, we're really passionate about talking about Nazis. Yeah. Um, I actually am really excited for this episode. Um, I'm not excited about Nazis, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really excited to talk about how Star Trek deals repeatedly with Nazis for some reason. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, it's very topical right now because of the like extreme surge in white supremacy that we're witnessing. And so there's, yeah. there's relevance to yeah. both history and current events. The quote, detention centers that are bordered. Seriously. Hopefully things will be a little bit better by the time this airs, but... Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's so funny. Um, it's not funny, you guys. It's not quite funny. I don't know how to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, I, it's I the, do, Yeah. It's the kind of thing where it's like you're you're laughing instead of being in the fetal position on the floor. Yes. Rage laughter. Like the Klingons. Okay, can we do a blood wine tasting? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Also relevant to our conversation because uh, blood wine is a thing that Jews supposedly made and it was a reason oh, for not Oh, stop to it! Yeah, no. Everything <laughs> relates. Oh, I'm starting to cry. Yeah, so let's get started. We'll give you our uh, recaps and then get into this discussion. Okay. So, the first episode we watched was Patterns of Force, which is an original series episode. Finally, um, it was episode 23 of season two and aired in 1967. Kirk and Spock go to the planet Echos to rescue the missing historian John Gill, only to discover that the whole planet has become a replica of Nazi Germany. The Zeons from a neighboring planet are being hunted for extermination by the Ecosians. Kirk and Spock dress as Nazis to infiltrate Nazi headquarters. They make friends with the resistance and they save everyone. The crew of the Enterprise opines on how it is possible for this tragedy to have happened again. Intertractions. Lots of Kirk and Spock flirting, IMO. Uh, the Zeons, uh, which, you know, sounds like Zion, have Jewish names. Um, not an intertraction, but pretty cool or cheap. Most of this episode was filmed at the headquarters for Paramount Studios. So, so then we watched a pair of episodes from Voyager. It's called The Killing Game, parts one and two, which is the 18th episode of season four. And in it, Voyager has been overtaken by the Herogens. Uh, a species whose culture revolves around the hunt. They have expanded the holodecks throughout the ship so that they can play out various historical battles from the Federation species' histories. Using a neural chip technology, they make the Voyager crew believe they are holodeck characters. Most of the action takes place in a version of Nazi-occupied St. Clair, France in 1944, 
where Janeway, Tuvok, Seven, Bolana, and Tom are all involved in the resistance. Harry, Kim, and the Doctor are the only crew members aware of what's going on, and they eventually deactivate Janeway's chip, which set, sets in motion their eventual defeat of the Herogens. In the course of the episode, it is revealed that the Herogens want to take the holodeck technology back to their homeworld as an alternative to hunting actual sentient beings. And yeah, introductions in this episode... Uh, the very first scene of the first episode, Janeway is dressed as a Klingon, and of course she has darkened her face through makeup, or maybe holog hologram technology, but whatever. <laughs> She's in blackface. Um, IRL in makeup. Yeah. And also there's an actor uh, who plays a Nazi officer in this episode. His name is J. Paul Bomer, who also plays a Nazi in the Enterprise episode that we watched. Um, and and was cast as a Cardassian in Deep Space Nine. So this guy's getting all the all the great roles. Oh, for some reason Bolana's Hala character is pregnant. We think maybe the actress was pregnant, but didn't didn't double check to make sure that's true. Uh, sorry guys. Finally when Tom um, runs into Harry in a corridor while Tom's still in his character as a member of the Resistance. Um, he makes Harry prove his Americanness um, by asking which part of Betty Grable he would ogle. Because he's Asian. Right. <laughs> he's like, you might not be American. Right. He, I think he assumes at first that he might be Japanese and therefore uh, allied with the, with the Nazis. Which is in character... Um, sure. But also racist. Yes. Then we watched, we returned to the Enterprise to watch Stormfront parts one and two, which is Enterprise season four, episodes one and two, which aired in 2004. The Enterprise is stranded in 1944. The crew believes that Captain Archer is dead, and Archer in Brooklyn believes that the Enterprise is destroyed. The Nazis are in America and have taken over the eastern seaboard with the help of aliens from the future. And we're saying aliens from the future because we never find out what kind of aliens they are. The Nazis are racist, and the Italian mob is leading the resistance. Archer works together with the resistance to reset the timeline. Some other convoluted future alien temporal Cold War politics are discussed at length for much of both of these episodes. And eventually the timeline is reset. Intertractions. Ensign Hoshi Sato was mostly absent for both episodes and unable to comment on U.S.-Japanese relations, which I'm sure she would be interested in. Archer befriends an African-American woman named Alicia who talks about how things are even worse for black people under the Nazis than they had been previously. No one mentions what happens to the Jews in New York. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to the original series portrayal of Nazis, they're actually dealing with these deeper, more nuanced questions. Zeon Kick. <laughs> An announcement from Fuhrer headquarters. Today, the Fuhrer has ordered our glorious capital to be made Zeon free. Starting at dawn, our heroic troops began flushing out the Zeon monsters who've been poisoning our planet. How could this have happened? These Zeons who are, you know, they have Jewish names, they're um, either passing or they're not passing, depending on how Aryan they look. And 
Zayon is just a, a like phoneme away from Zion, obviously. And they're living in diaspora. They're from the planet Zayon, um, and they are Zayon, and uh, they're living in Echos. Mm-hmm. I guess these are both like pre-warp, but space-like capable societies. Yeah, my understanding is that the Zeons were more advanced technologically than the Ecosians. And they had come to the Ecosian planet with the um, with a de- desire to share their technology. Mm-hmm. And then they end up it being persecuted um, for reasons that we'll get into. We immediately... The, the guy that they're going to look for, John Gill, mm-hmm. the historian... Um, is established early on as a good historian who Kirk personally knows mm-hmm. and likes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh yeah, that guy, we like that guy. And then... Uh, he could never is a phrase that was used yes. over and over in this episode. Yes. So like the episode is trying to explore, clumsily or not, uh, at times I think clumsily because, you know, because it's television in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, but it's trying to explore how could this happen? Mm. How could someone who we think of as nice and who we think of as well-intentioned become a white supremacist, mm-hmm. uh, become a Nazi, cause Nazism on a whole planet? Sorry, if I'm hitting it really hard right now over the head, it's because that's what they did in the episode? Yeah, it's really, it's it's super blatant. There's no subtlety about it. By Nazi Germany. You studied history, you knew what the Nazis were. Ultimately, it gets explained in the episode that um, this guy, John Gill, came to this planet kind of as an anthropological observer Mm -hmm. and... um, Immediately violates the Prime Directive, always a bad thing. Yeah, super in violation of the Prime Directive. And he, uh, like, his stated reason for kind of introducing them to the concept of Nazism is that that they were the most efficient culture or something most efficient state earth ever knew quite true captain a tiny country beaten bankrupt defeated rose in a few years to stand only one step away from global domination perhaps gill felt that such a state run benignly could accomplish its efficiency without sadism because they had some really fast economic turnaround and i guess we're probably very efficient at taking over other countries and killing Jews. Basically, it was like, let's let's test with real people. Let's test out what would have happened if Nazi efficiency were divorced from this desire to kill Jews. Yeah, and I mean, and so there are several problems with this. Like, one, I think even in 1967, there were historians who didn't agree with this perspective mm-hmm. that the Nazis were super efficient. Mm-hmm. It was like a commonly held belief among people, but historians were like, this isn't really true. And actually, like within the Nazi party, there was a lot of infighting and like intrigue and uh, backstabbing, which we see in the episode. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, and yeah. this notion of like, of like German efficiency is a stereotype. It's mm-hmm. it's it's perpetuated and it's seen as more benign than other types of stereotypes because German people around the world aren't persecuted in the same way that people of color or um, or Jews 
or now, you know, Muslims are being persecuted, but it's a stereotype nonetheless, which narrows your ability to think about any individual from that place. I mean, as I'm being... part German. Yeah. I'm not very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> like, pretty sure everyone agrees with that. Well, it's, it's the, he, he's coming from this, like, oh, uh, the best type of government is benign dictatorship. Is essentially yeah. what his argument is, okay, which is an argument from a lot of people, yeah, even now, yeah. And it's not. Oh, what is he? Kirk at the end of the episode makes a really good point about this. Actually, oh. he says, um, "The problem with the Nazis wasn't simply that their leaders were evil, psychotic men. They were, but the main problem, I think, was the leader principle." What he's saying, Spock, is that a man holds that much power, even with the best intentions, just can't resist the urge to play God. And it's true. It's proven over and over again historically that when power is concentrated in fewer and fewer people, it is more likely that the government that is serving those people will commit atrocities. And it's interesting coming from a ship's captain who is essentially running a tiny dictatorship right <laughs> like that is how the military works true it's certainly not democratic um I mean, there it's are hierarchical checks on him. yeah there are checks on him but i think that there's you know it's a it's a it's a matter of scale right mm -hmm. the enterprise has a couple hundred or maybe like a thousand people on the ship and i think that i think the scale matters i really do um yeah, so I I thought this episode was actually like sensitive in to the Holocaust mm -hmm. in a way that the um, the Voyager and the Enterprise episodes were really not. Can we talk about how Kirk and Spock are Jewish? Oh yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's like fairly common knowledge that um, Leonard Nimoy is Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, I did not know until like a year or two ago that William Shatter is Jewish. Mm. And I should have known because it's, um, maybe everyone of our generation knows, it's a line in Adam Sandler's uh, Hanukkah song. Oh, God. <laughs> They're like, you could spin the dreidel with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. Oh, so when I, I freaked out, my husband was immediately like, you didn't know this from the Hanukkah song? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my. The, the historically relevant... Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. <laughs> I love I mean, it. De definitely to like millennials and Gen Xers, right? It's true. <laughs> like, it's true. Um, yeah, but you know, you know, Leonard Nimoy, quote unquote, looks Jewish. Mm -hmm. uh, William Shatner really doesn't. I think especially at this time when he's still blonde. Mm -hmm. In the episode, he and he and Spock like play off this dynamic where uh Kirk looks Aryan and Spock looks Jewish and he like repeatedly he's like um about to be encountered by an actual Nazi and he's like Oh, I'm get this this Zeon's going to the detention facility. Uh, don't mind me, <laughs> hamming it up like he does all the time. Um, and it's a, it's it's played into like they acknowledge yeah. that that's yeah. how no, they and look. They they steal some Nazi uniforms mm -hmm. and uh, Kirk is like Spock, you got to put this on. He's like really, and he's like, how else are we gonna get 
into the headquarters. He's like, good point, Captain. He mm-hmm. puts it on, and thankfully he has got a helmet to cover his ears. That helmet covers a multitude of sins. Your uniform, Captain. Yes, it's a shame yours isn't as attractive as mine. Quite correct. You should make a very convincing Nazi. And <laughs> <laughs> his deadpan, it's so, oh. it's, it's, it's hilarious. They, also, they get caught and then sneak back in later the same way. That's true. <laughs> After they've been caught and, like, no one recognizes that Again. they were there early. Right. These are the same two guys we threw in jail, like, oh, yesterday. Yeah, no, oh, no, no, no. I actually, so they explain this at one point in the episode. I don't, they, like, they encounter a lot of people and, uh, but at least one of them sees them twice in their um, stolen uniforms, and it's revealed towards the end of the episode that that guy was a member of the resistance who was also like a high-ranking member of the Nazi military organization. So he he knows. So he knows. So he he, knows. Okay. he was like, okay, now that I see that these that Kirk and Spock are here with the um, resistance members that I have met, then. We can let them go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time they get captured, they get put into a cell and they're like stripped. Stripped. <laughs> so we see uh, shirtless Kirk and Spock and they're um, tortured mm-hmm. for information. And we get this scene of them being flogged together. And it's just like super, super kinky. It's it's very kinky. It's very homoerotic. It's really, it's really cute actually because uh, Spock has like green marks all over Mm -hmm. his back because his blood's green. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is like very, they look like they were drawn on with like lipstick. Oh yeah. It's like (laughs) somebody in the makeup department was like, okay, we got to get this done. Five minutes. Yeah. No. And then there's like, like lots of like. Kirk and Spock are like climbing on each other while they're shirtless to try to reach various things. It's just like very, um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, tension going on. I think this particular episode, I think, was uh, a, a lot of like Kirk Spock slash fiction fodder. Oh, for real. Yes. Yeah. Um, God, I felt like this conversation was going so. Sorry, we are very derailed by the, the shirtless. I um, mean, anytime. <laughs> Anytime we get a captain without their shirt on, it's like, mm, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think Janeway ever is <laughs> shirtless. shirtless. I mean, like, not even, t- I don't, like, I think the analogy would be like, like, like a in a sports bra. bra or something. I feel like she's got a sports bra scene. We will find it. Yeah, we'll find it. Um, like, I, I feel like the most undressed she ever gets is in a tank top. But we're veering yeah. pretty far outside of Nazi talk, so let's, okay. let's redirect. All right. So... We like this original series episode, and I think one of the things that we, you know, we haven't yet mentioned, but is irrelevant to this conversation, is that we're both Jewish, and so, like, we both have particular sensitivity around portrayals of Nazis and talked about the Holocaust, you know, a current, at least for me, underlying fear of, of impending white supremacy and, like, which of my friends are going to hide me in their basement? Which brings me back to one more thing I wanted to say about this episode is... It's noted that uh, John Gill has only been there for, like, three years or something. <laughs> like, he has not been there very long. Mm-hmm. And Nazism has completely taken hold of the whole planet. Mm-hmm. Which, 
I think is intentional. Mm -hmm. Uh, This can happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. The other thing is Kirk and Spock just, they keep asking the resistance fighters over and over again, like, why do they hate Xeons? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, I don't know, without our hating us, they'd have nothing to hold them together. Yeah. Which, which is absolutely <laughs> happening right now. It's, it's so real. It's so real. And it's interesting. So the the episode keeps John Gill as somewhat of a hero in that he has been getting like drugged or something. And it's really the second in command that's driving this persecution of the Xeons. Like it's assumed that before, before the second in command kind of took over, John Gill was running his benevolent version of Nazi Germany um, without killing anybody. But I don't I don't think it is possible to have that culture without a defined enemy. Like that's part of how this works. They had to be scapegoating the Zeons in order for this to come together the way that it did. It can happen really quickly, um, but the the seeds have to be planted well in advance there's this notion of a cultural tipping point where things start out on the fringe and then as more and more people get pulled into any given ideology it it can then become mainstream well yeah you have to imagine that there was probably some anti-zeon sentiment oh uh one of the one of the reasons they say that the um the zeons are not fighting back is that they are a extremely pacifist society Mm -hmm. and so they don't they abhor violence of any kind and Mm -hmm. don't don't want to kill anybody and there's a conversation about what to do about that in the face of being persecuted being hunted down and exterminated um which is a real thing real consideration that i think about today on a regular basis because i have in the past in my life like said I just made a vow to myself, at least, that I'll never pick up a gun. And I still sure. haven't. I mean, I have. Yeah. Well, good for you. No, I mean, yeah. like, not yeah. good or yeah. bad. There's no, no value judgment I mean, there. So, so this other podcast, um, which I'm just going to low-key endorse if you like Jewish issues, uh, Unorthodox, mm. right after the, the shooting in San Diego, one of their three hosts was saying that every Jew in America needs to get a gun. Mm-hmm. And know how to defend themselves. And uh, the week after that, they had a lot of angry letters from Jewish listeners who were like, what is wrong with you? Mm. We don't need guns. Like, we need security guards. And It's worth thinking it is, about. It is, a, it is a viewpoint. Yeah, it's really real. I mean, like, even to the point of we were walking earlier today outside. And there's this local business that's fairly new that's called Manny's, which is run by a person who is Jewish. And since he opened this business, there has been routine protests outside of it with like anti-Israel, pro-Palestine sentiment. But it's it's very anti-Semitic because it presumes that this person who is Jewish, Mm -hmm. simply that they are Jewish, like supports the Israeli government and their behavior towards Palestinians. And, like, I personally do not. I think it's abhorrent, and it's one of the reasons that I can never imagine, like, living in Israel. Yeah, no, it, it was it was very upsetting. Yeah. I shouted at them. <laughs> yeah. So we're thinking about whether or not we're going to own guns and, like, hoping that our white Christian friends will give us sanctuary should we need it someday. 
Maybe on that very uplifting note, <laughs> we should take a break. Yep. Maybe we'll advertise Manny's. Uh, <laughs> break. And we'll come back and talk about the um, Voyager and the Enterprise episodes. Hello, Intertractional listeners. Becca here to invite you to join the San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. If you are interested in advancing the ideals of sex positivity in local governance and discourse, this is the Democratic Club for you. We define sex positivity as a philosophy that all consensual sexual behavior between adults is inherently healthy. We support and work to create sex-positive public policy. We help elect qualified sex-positive candidates, especially those who are non-monogamous, kinky, sex workers, LGBTQ, and members of other alternative sexual communities, as well as their allies. We work to sensitize and educate all Democratic candidates and office holders, the Democratic Party, and the community at large to the issues and concerns of these communities. To learn more and become a member, visit sfspdc.org. Welcome back. And we're back. (laughs) You know, in addition to it being culturally relevant right now to, to talk about Nazism and white supremacy, one of the big reasons that we wanted to talk about these three episodes is kind of observe how Star Trek itself portrays Nazis throughout the history of the canon. And what we found interesting is that the episode in the original series is very clearly analogous to Jews being persecuted. Yeah, to the Holocaust. Right. The Holocaust is central to the Nazi narrative. But then in the in the Voyager episode, the crew is, um, you know, they have these characters who are part of the French resistance, French underground, and they basically don't mention the words Jew, Jewish, or anything like that. Which, I don't know, which, I don't know, might be, like, okay, they're in Nazi-occupied France, um, so probably the Jews are gone by now, if they're not in hiding. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so, so maybe that's realistic. But also, if this is a hunting species, why, why would they cast the crew of the Voyager as the Resistance? Why wouldn't they just cast them as Jews? Mm-hmm. He, it's a little. There's not much hunting going on in the hunting game. Yeah, really. There, there's a lot of like holodeck singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, uh, Seven is. Her her hollow alternate is uh, Madame de Neuf or yeah Miss Mademoiselle de Neuf Mademoiselle de Neuf which apparently I just learned from Ryan means Mademoiselle number nine <laughs> I don't speak French. It must be right. That's him. Our new commandant. British intelligence believes he's been sent here to oversee the occupation of the city. What's his history? He served with Rommel in North Africa and Schmidt in Poland. He is a formidable military strategist, notorious for his cruelty. Well, let's make him feel at home. Send him a bottle of Chateau Latour, my compliments. The 29. I hate to waste good wine. Give him the 36. As you wish. And I have waited so long. Um, I think... If I can put myself into their mindset, I think that what they were trying to play out is 
a hunt for the concealed resistance. Yes. Um, which is a challenge greater than the challenge of of hunting down Jews at this point in time because it, they're... Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But they don't really flesh that out. No. I think, or it gets kind of lost in the script. Like, maybe it was there in their first draft, mm-hmm. but it, it gets a little muddied. It's interesting to me from this episode and the, and the other episodes that the clear antagonist bad guys have elected to become Nazis. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yeah. it's kind of like, why? they're just like they're like we have so much in common with these guys they also know that they're superior to the other sentient species Mm, yeah it's a superiority thing it's a supremacy thing yeah god the the herojin who originally like sets up the nazis versus the french resistance hollow program is like this should be stimulating it's very sexually charged his yeah. like hunt they are drive super weird species mm-hmm. like i fucking hate them <laughs> they're so they're so weird yeah J-F. it was like what if we so i think i feel like from the writer's perspective they were like what if we um made a species that was kind of like the klingons but instead of being really all about war they were all about hunting and remove this, like, uh, I don't know. It feels it yeah. feels like it simplifies the, their characterization. They're very clearly evil. Although in this episode, I would say some gray area is introduced because the reason that they're doing this to the Voyager, to Voyager and, and the crew is to develop a version of the hollow technology to take back to their um, home planet and ideally like use that technology to serve in place of hunting actual sentient beings mm-hmm. and which the the head Herosian believes will be the downfall of his species if they don't change their way yeah I mean which makes sense like we've seen this with the Klingons like you know, like what's going to happen to the field of law? What's going to happen to Klingon art? Like what's going to happen to Klingon opera if everyone in their species becomes so focused on this one thing? Mm-hmm. Just their their culture will erode. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I feel like someone read that short story where they're like, "Man is the most dangerous game," and was really into it. And they're like, "Let's base a whole species on on this." Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's very plausible. Um, yeah, and then so in the in the Enterprise episode, this alien race from the future who are uh, on, I guess, the side of the temporal cold war that we like less. I think yeah. the, the temporal cold war is like the Enterprise begrudgingly takes a side because they are just being drawn in over and over. Yeah, yeah, they're they're drawn in over and over by by Daniels, who is human mostly. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like that's a plus. But yeah, they they seem to hate everyone who's in it. It's quite a sight. The timeline's resetting itself. And you're here to give me a pat on the back. In a way. Well, I don't want it. I want you to leave me and my crew alone. We're done with you and your damn temporal cold war. Yeah. And <laughs> 
Um, which makes, I, th- I mean, like, from Archer's perspective, he's like, God, these guys just keep fucking showing up and disrupting the things that I'm trying to get done in my own timeline, and I'm sick and tired of bullshit. Whatever. He's over it. But obviously yeah. we like these guys ne- less because they also elected to be Nazis. Can we talk a little bit about what they look like? Because oh, yeah. I think this feeds into uh, one of the, the other things we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um... Oh, yeah. So they're just super scary looking. Like, they're gray, so they pretty much look like they're dead. And they have pointy faces. They have, like, weird pointy protrusions um, on their face. And they have red devil eyes. They kind of look like the master from uh, the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, I feel like, uh, like, even up until Discovery, the more alien and alien species is portrayed as the more likely they are to be the antagonist mm-hmm. or the like the violent um warlike species yeah but these uh, guys they they look like not just alien but like demonic demonic yeah no yeah. that's super real yeah. and it's interesting like um in other uh in other media cinema and film the nazis are often portrayed as intentionally seeking allyship with the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like that ties in here where it's like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, the Fuhrer was seeking some help from, like, the undead, and then these aliens show up and... Yeah, yeah. It's right in. Yeah. It does make it seem more plausible to me. Because I'm like, if they're all about racial purity, why are they letting these people who look clearly not human wear the Nazi uniform. Like, mm-hmm. they're not just, like, helping them out. They are in the Nazi uniform. Like, they have, like, decorations and... Yeah, accoutrement of, yeah. uh, well... <laughs> I am gesturing at my neck. I'm like, this is where they wear... <laughs> Epaulettes, <laughs> pins. Yeah, like, they are, they are full-on part of the Nazi military. I think it all ties into one of the, one of the big issues that I have with Nazis in in within this realm, Star Trek, but also outside of it in broader fiction, where they've been cartoonified. That I feel like from a modern viewpoint, Nazis aren't scary anymore. They're just like jokes. Yeah, they're Dracula, jokes. right? Yeah. Like they're they're they've become so <sighs> neutered. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say so overblown, right? Mm. Like so hyper evil and and. And we've been exposed to it so much. Mm. It's not just like neutered, but it's like, do you do you watch Archer? I have watched Archer. Yeah. Okay. So when Archer realizes that pirates are real, <laughs> I don't remember so, exactly so what. He's but he's like, this other character is like pirates. He's like, oh yeah, and you know, zombies, <laughs> right? Like he doesn't. Um, he thinks that pirates are Fiction. cartoon villains. Yeah. And doesn't realize that there are real pirates, and I feel like Nazis are kind of at that point. Yeah, no, I think you're. Re- I think that's that's the point that I was trying to make. Perhaps like when I say neutered, what I mean is that they're so hyper evil that their ideology is no no longer tied to the like image of Nazism, and so it makes it easier for people who are like, oh yeah, Nazis are bad, to embrace white supremacy. Um, because they can, they're, they're separated. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's not that like inherent link anymore in our cultural imagination. Right. 
um, which I think is is really problematic and not, um, I don't think, like intentional on the part of any storytellers, but they're relying on this trope of Nazis are bad, let's make the bad guys Nazis, and not really thinking about the broader implications. Yeah, so like both visually, making both of these species look super scary and dressing them as Nazis. We're like, all right, these are the bad guys. No matter what they say later, we know they're the bad guys because they're choosing to be Nazis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I forgot what point two was. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and in terms of their storytelling. There's one thing that I wanted to mention was that in in her first scene in the Enterprise episode, Alicia, the character mm -hmm. who like nurses Captain Archer is like, immediately put into this kind of servant slash caretaker role. Yes. And as a woman of color, it's like, did you consider what that would yeah. convey? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they cast, yeah. I'm glad that they cast somebody of color and I'm glad that they have like, that they were talking about this, but at the same time, they, they could have had that play out differently. You're my first bonafide POW. I usually fix up guys in the resistance. Yeah. Easy, 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 sailor. Yeah. I don't want to start bleeding again. Sailor? Yeah, that patch on your shirt says Enterprise. You must have made it off before it sank. How'd you wind up all the way over here? I've been asking myself the same question. What year is this? It's 1944. World War II. I haven't heard it called that before, but that's as good a description as any. Used to be a pretty nice neighborhood, even for coloreds. As you can see, it's gone downhill. Where are we? We in Brooklyn. New York City. Specifically, they're in Brooklyn rather than the Lower East Side because at the time, at that point in time, which yeah. we looked up, there was about one and a half million Jews living in in New York, mostly concentrated in the Lower East Side. That really just like easily sidestep the Holocaust. So both of us were like, well, isn't it convenient that they just don't talk about Jews at all in this episode? Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not so sure, because you just said, like, easily sidestep. I'm not so sure it was easily sidestep. Mm. Like, what happened to all the Jews in New York City? Like, are they at Rikers Island? Like, is there a concentration camp nearby? Why aren't they in the mob? Because like, right. the Italian-American mob wasn't just Italian-American, it was also Jewish. I looked this up earlier because I could not remember his name, but like Meyer Lansky, a Jew, <laughs> uh, was, not that I'm proud of this, but as an Italian and a Jew, uh, Meyer Lansky was one of the two major founders of the Consolidated American-Italian Crime Syndicate. One of the people who took it from a bunch of tiny families to El Cosa Nostra. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, so he was an entrepreneurial Bob person. Yes, he was also their money guy. Uh, of course. True story. Okay. Life in imitates stereotype, imitates life. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's not a question that Archer asks. Mm -hmm. He's like, how did this happen? Alicia is giving all these examples. Like, we're not allowed to have our own Billie Holiday record. We have to share it. Life's so hard. Well, she's, she says that the, the Nazis have outlawed colored music, mm -hmm. um, but they, like, the resistance passes around this gramophone so that they can play Billie Holiday at, like, I don't know. 5.30 every day or something. They play it at the same time, but we don't really know what time it is. It's, I think, in There's the late evening. There's evening light. At the beginning of the second of this two-part episode, 
They, um... Oh, yeah, there's a newsreel. There's, there's like, like a, a propaganda film. Mm-hmm. In it, they're like, we are eliminating the parasitic elements and the financial profiteers from American soil. And it's like, that's the closest we get to yeah. talking about about Jews in this context. Yeah, this, like, dog whistle for, like, uh, the, the money people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the notion of parasitic elements. One of the big justifications for for anti-Semitism is that Jews are passing. Like you can't tell whether somebody is Jewish or not. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're like sneaky, underhanded, you know, coming in and, and infiltrating your like white Christian utopia. You know, it's one of the reasons that like Jews are considered untrustworthy and like a justification for being persecuted. So it's there and they use that coded language and yeah. we're just like gross. Yeah, yeah. So I mean like I guess like you you get the idea that the Italians um who are not quite white at this point in history uh, I think that's about 6 years off. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh you know black people are not having it easier right uh under the Nazis but they're still there. Mhm. Um, and we do get examples of things being more racist. Yeah. Uh, like Archer's walking next to her on the street and the Nazi officers start yelling at them for walking together. But I'm like, yeah, is, is that so far off from, from where the world was then? Yeah, she, she mentions that the neighborhood that they're in in Brooklyn had been, it had even been like pretty good to live there as, as a colored person. And I'm using that term because it's what she, the character says. It's what she said. And I think that's true that like there were certain enclaves, certain neighborhoods at that point in time where it was, it was a lot easier to exist as a person of color. And so the fact that the Nazis came in and they're like, Aryan nation is a worsening of her situation, which. Okay. Makes a lot of sense, frankly. Yeah. 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 But like, I don't know, just that this is held up as the evil thing that the Nazis are doing mm-hmm. um, is kind of erasing the actual situation of, of black people in America at the time and totally forgetting about what they were actually doing in New York City. Mm-hmm. No one talks about it yeah. in the whole episode. So so we're a little disappointed by the storytelling in that they're, they're clearly leaning on this Nazis are kind of like generic bads. Um, and it's... I don't know. Feels kind of lazy. Yeah. If nothing else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, there, there. I feel like there are so many other interesting things they could have done with this storyline. I think they could have used Hoshi, and it could have been really interesting. Because, like, one of the things that Star Trek often will do is, you know, Kirk or Picard or whoever will get plunked down and start telling people like why they're in a fucked up situation even after they're like okay we're not going to do this because of the prime directive and then eventually they're like no our starfleet ideals Mm -hmm. and like what if hoshi had been stranded instead of archer or with Mm -hmm. archer like what if they were in tournament camps like what if it had been japanese what if the aliens had been american Mm -hmm. um what if they'd met a jewish character like there are all kinds of interesting and complicated things that could have happened in this episode, and instead, what we get is like a lot of temporal Cold War politics. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. why? What? We're done with you and your damn temporal Cold War. I feel yeah. like you had something interesting to say about the Nazi holograms in Voyager. Yeah, I thought that the, the like notion that the Herogens 
wanted to cast themselves as the Nazis was like a weird flex. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, the thing that you had said the other day while we were planning this episode was, uh, so at some point there's a division among the Herogen. Some Mm. of them are really down for this, like, okay, we're going to, bring the holodeck back to our people and this is how we're going to hunt now. And and some of the underlings are like, but I want to, I just want to kill them. And I'm done playing holodeck games. And then like while he's in the midst of this frustration, he is like rallied by the Nazi hologram. Oh yeah, right. By, like, oh, yeah. The, the white Nazi cool. hologram. You were struck by how much time was given to the Nazi viewpoint. Like how much air Exactly. Time. He gets this monologue Mm -hmm. that's like minutes long where he's like this is why i am fighting this fight because germans are superior to anybody else in history and it's supposed to be moving because it 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 rallies him right it rallies this guy and it's that those words are spoken by this actor who is the same one who plays the Nazi or plays a Nazi in the Enterprise episode. I'm like, I feel bad for that actor. I feel like you take the work you take, you can get when right. you're an actor. Right. Um, interestingly, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Interestingly, uh, Leonard Nimoy took pains not to be photographed wearing his Nazi uniform while they were filming the TOS episode because he was going to be uh, visiting a shul like later that month and was afraid that it would get out into the press and like the episode wouldn't be out yet he'd have to explain himself so like when photographers showed up to be like oh we're visiting the Star Trek set he like hid that's really interesting yeah Good, good for him, I think. I, I would say, like, I applaud that. And it's, it's hard, it's hard being a Jew and, like, feel, feeling out where the line is. Like, I'm sitting here looking at my roommate's secret Hitler game mm-hmm. and having refused to play every time it's been offered to me to play this game because I don't want to put I mean, myself in a position where I have to like pretend to be Hitler or, or pretend to not be pretending to be Hitler. It's basically, it's mafia, right? <laughs> yeah, or, it's basically, or, or, werewolf, or werewolf or whatever. Okay. Um, that's my understanding. And it's like, why, why not just play that game instead of this game but people say it's fun i don't fucking know i'm not, i'm just not, like not really interested in that yeah. yeah so if you had been leonard nimoy or william shatner or a writer of this episode right it's a good question yeah like i mean how do because they're very jovial <laughs> throughout the entire episode i know it's still super camp like and it's 1967 yeah. like it's 20 years away they were both raised by immigrants like they both spoke yiddish like, how do you feel like they felt? And and they're able to, like, have so much fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I'm not an actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not and, ever and I having... I wonder, like, if they had internal conflict or if they were like, there's a good message to this episode. This is in service of a good message. And I would absolutely put on a Nazi uniform to in- infiltrate Paramount Studios. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. And I I I support it. Like I think that the I think that the ultimate 
goal that they have to like reinforce that this is problematic and really actually delve into the reasons why in the original series episode in contrast to these other two um is is in service of something good but you're right like it happened at a much earlier point in time much closer to ac- the actual world war Two, and like we said at the beginning of the episode like observing that kind of drift away from acknowledging the persecution of the jews during the holocaust yeah is probably part of why we have this resurgence of white supremacy today i mean yeah. i don't blame star trek so for that, star but. trek <laughs> star trek discovery if you have nazis have some jews please have a jewish starfleet officer already like and not one that's a vulcan that's it. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you mean like somebody who's practices yeah. a Jew- Jewish religion? Yeah, like have a Jewish officer. Hmm. Like not a Jewish actor playing someone in Starfleet. Right. But like, that's interesting. I'm, because I'm sitting here, I'm like. Who's Jew- uh, not a Ferengi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not a Bajoran. That's interesting because I guess from like my conception of the Star Trek universe is that as humanity progresses towards a post-war post-capitalist kind of utopia mm-hmm. they necessarily eliminate religion yeah okay um, or maybe yeah. yeah okay so everyone's an atheist now it's the future we've all drifted away but just i don't know like uh, having Ensign, um... Ensign who? What? Ensign Steinberg. Oh, Ensign Steinberg. Oh my god. Yeah, it could be interesting for sure, especially in Discovery, because Discovery is so early in mm-hmm. the in the history that it's more reasonable that they still have people who have religion mm-hmm. as a component of their identity, mm-hmm. and that that is that can play into like how storylines develop. I would I would love to come back and and revisit just like uh, portrayals of either Jewish aliens or um, people who are coded as Jewish, mm-hmm. maybe Worf's adopted human parents. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for when we talk about religion more broadly within the star trek universe oh so thanks for thanks for listening feminist trekkies uh please tune in next week yeah uh yeah whenever we air these in tune in in the future as we as we said in the last episode that we recorded podcasting is time travel so yes with that um live long and prosper live long and prosper next week on intertractional Kirk Hart, Spock Forever. We discuss original series episodes Amok Time, Mirror Mirror, and Journey to Babel, and the motion picture, just in time for the 40th anniversary of its release. Catch a special screening of it if you can. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kafka, production advice by Danny Kafka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. Tell us what you think. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, 
Help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference.